All right, it's time to invite all the kids to come on up front and have a seat over here. Come on up. Feel free to bring somebody with you if you'd like to sit with you. Come on up and find a spot to sit. Hey, Jeremiah. All right. Come on up, buddy. All right. Find a spot to sit, everybody. All right. All right. Good to see everybody. All right. Here we go. Well, I have something to show you right away. I have this chair here. You see this? Now, this chair, if you look closely, it um, has some duct tape over here. It's kind of wobbly. Is this a perfect chair? No, it's, it's not perfect. There's some braces missing. It's wobbly. There's some screws missing. This seat even comes off. That's, that's not very perfect of a, of a chair, is it? Um, but do you think, even though it's not perfect, do you think it could still be useful? Do you think it could still work? Well, let's, let's try it. Is there a volunteer who would like to try sitting in this, in this chair? All right. Why don't you come over and, and give it a try here? Carefully, though. Carefully. All right. It still works, right? Still holds you up? Good. So it, even though it's not a perfect chair, it can still be used. It still has purpose, right? You can stay there if you want. Or if you're, you're really scared, you can come back over here. <laughs> All right. So... The chair, even though it's not perfect, it could still function, right? It could still serve a purpose. So keep that in mind. We're going to come back to that, okay? Keep that in mind. Now, today, we're going to continue talking about fathers, right? Last week, if you were here, Pastor Jeremy talked about God, our Heavenly Father, right? And God, our Heavenly Father, is perfect in every way. And we also have fathers here on earth, right? But do you know what? You know what's true about your father here on earth? He's not perfect in every way. Did you know that? He's not perfect in every way, right? All of the fathers have sin, right, which makes them not perfect. And some are further from God's, God the Father's perfection, right? Some are further than others, but all of the fathers, even including me, we all fall short. We all have sin, and that sin ruins the perfect parenting that your father should be doing. But that doesn't mean that fathers are useless, right? In fact, God says that fathers are very important. They still have purpose even though they're flawed, similar to this chair, right? Not perfect, flawed in many ways, but still serves a purpose, right? God gave each of you your specific father, the specific father that you have God has given him to you. And because God is in control of all things, he takes all the good things from your father along with all the not-so-good, the sinful things of your father, and he works them all together for your good in your life. So when you observe the good things in your father, you can praise God and thank him for that good gift. And when you observe the the not-so-good, some of the sin in your father, you can forgive him because Jesus died on the cross to forgive sin, right? And when we follow Jesus, we forgive. We choose to forgive those who have sinned against us too. So sin is terrible, isn't it? It's really bad. It makes people and it makes fathers imperfect, similar to this chair. But by faith, we can know God as our perfect heavenly father, and we can look at our earthly fathers 
and see them as God sees them and see them, see God working in them and through them, even in our own lives. So Pastor Jeremy's going to come and he's still going to talk about more how about sin, about how sin affects fathers. So you go back and have a seat, but keep listening as Pastor Jeremy comes. Thanks for coming up. If you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 3. We are in uh, Genesis chapter 3 this morning. Genesis chapter 3, and we'll be looking at all of it. If you conceive of this world as a uh, play, a, a drama, God is writing. He's has it perfectly working as He wants. It seems apparent that a major um, actor on God's stage is fatherhood. God wanted to continue this world, see it run, and fathers are often at the center of it. And a part of this play is sin. In Genesis chapter 3, we see that Adam's fall, our first father, has affected all fathers and all things. And so there isn't anything in this world that isn't fallen, and that includes fathers. And because all of you were raised under a father, whether he was there or not, you are affected in numerous ways by your fathers, and they are fallen. This isn't to say at all that a father can't be generally a good one. There are good fathers. I had a good father. But even my good father did, and I could tell you some stories, in many ways, fail. And that's because he is, like you are, a son of Adam. But even more so, because of God's grace, there's hope for fallen fathers. There's hope for those of you who have been parented by fallen fathers, whether they were a decent fallen father or maybe a very wicked one. What we want to do is apply sin to fatherhood, talk about the way that fathers fall and what we should do about it, how we should respond to it. I'm going to read all of Genesis 3. We'll pray and then I'll explain the text. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? 
The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because of you have done this, you are cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat of it all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread to return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Almighty, gracious Father, our salvation depends on us knowing and believing your holy word. So please grant to all of us that our hearts, being freed from distractions, may hear and understand and trust your holy word with all diligence and faith, that we might rightly understand your gracious will, cherish it, and live by it with all earnestness to the praise of and glory of your honor, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Genesis 3 is a fundamental text, both to understanding the entire Bible, what it means to be a Christian, and also to our world. In this text, of course, we meet ourselves, and the reason why our lives, your lives, this world, are so hard and so futile. Sin. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see God creating the world. Genesis 2 focuses primarily on God's creation of man. He made Adam first. He commands Adam what to do. And then God created Eve from Adam, presents him to her as a helper suitable for him. In Genesis 3, then, we see a total reversal of Genesis 2 creation order. Adam was to be the head of his wife, was to lead her towards growing obedience, protection, and from temptation, and Satan, a filthy liar, completely reversed this order. He went to Eve, the weaker vessel. Eve listened to him, rebelled against God. Adam abandoned him in his position of headship and responsibility and protection. Adam then listens to his wife, submits to her instead of the opposite, and follows her into sin. And just like that, in that moment, all of us died. In that moment, all of the pain, all of the great difficulty that you've experienced in this life came forth. And we see God's curse for our sin. 
And sin impacts everything. And this is especially true in that sin impacts relationships. Eve's offspring would be doing battle with the serpent. Eve would do battle with her husband. Her husband would do battle with the earth. All of these things were created by God initially to work together, to be for each other with unity and love and beauty. And now because of sin, that's all wrong. And so all that you mourn and hate and experience in this world is because of this Genesis 3 reality. So, now let's apply that just specifically to fathers. We're spending four weeks on uh, the biblical truth regarding fatherhood. Last week we saw that God is our Father, that He, through Christ, has redeemed us from this curse of sin in Genesis 3, so that we can actually be His uh, sons, heirs with Christ of all that He owns. And yet, as you know, even those fathers who have been redeemed by Christ still continue uh, wrestling with sin. And so how has Adam's disobedience, uh, his not protecting his wife, his abdicating his headship, his listening to her voice, his refusing to take responsibility, how does that affect you? Now we can see here, I heard some of you chuckle when I was reading it, uh, that when God came to Adam... He blamed Eve, and he blamed God. This woman, by the way, whom you gave to me, right? he refuses to take responsibility. Now this story could have been very different. Adam's uh, headship, his masculinity was to take responsibility. He should have gone to God and said, we sinned, may the curse be upon me, right? Instead, he came to God and said, it's her fault and it's your fault. Nothing to see here. He was very passive. The essence of being male or masculine is to take responsibility and sacrifice. And thank God, he sent a second far greater Adam. In the book of Romans, we see that though sin entered through one man, now salvation has entered through one far greater man, the man Jesus Christ. And so where we all died in Adam, any who have faith in Christ can be made alive. But we want to consider this sin and what it has done to fathers. And one of the things to realize here is even though we see Eve uh, being noted as sinning first, God comes to Adam first. God made Adam to leave and protect and provide for his family, Eve included. Instead, Adam passively stood by, watch what happens, then cowed before his wife, and then refused to take responsibility. So I want to talk about that and applying two significant ways that we see in our world that fathers fail. Right? And I want to talk about in the, in the sin of passivity, as we see Adam here, and then sometimes when father actually becomes monster. When father does great damage through his sin to his wife and children. Uh, Now, these are hard things that we're going to talk about here. These are hard things because some of you are fathers and you know your weakness. You know your failings. You know your sin. And so the spotlight is an effect on you here this morning. Uh, And I want to say two things there. Uh, maybe three, we'll see. 
the first thing to say there is that because of Christ, the far greater Adam, there is forgiveness for all father sin. There isn't a sin that you can commit as a father that would put you outside of God's willingness nor ability to forgive you through the blood of Jesus Christ. I mean that completely. We sung it this morning. These songs we picked were intentionally sung so you would see the great holiness of God and the utter forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And so please hear that and believe it. Uh, Second, um, some of your sin has wreaked great havoc in the lives of your children. There's no other way to say it. You know it. To deny it is a lie. And, and how you fa- have fathered has hurt people, and sometimes greatly. And because of Christ then, at the close of the sermon, I'm going to urge you, if this is true of you, and you have not made amends, you have not confessed your sin, that the one thing that a Christian is required to do with sin is confess it. You don't throw a pity party. You don't blame as Adam did. You simply own it. And then third, to those of you who are children of a father, our world is running currently on the thought of making us victims. Right? Wherever our world can, can do it, it'll turn you into a victim. If you're of a certain race, you've been oppressed by others, you're a victim. If you're a child of a father who was bad, play the victim. Blame him. And then live in this world as if the world owes you something. That is to heap one sin upon another. That is utter folly and it does not work. It doesn't glorify God. It does not take faith. And it only ruins you further. The only thing to do with the sin of your father is forgive him. Don't stew in it. Now, I say that very tenderly because some of you have experienced horrific things. The stuff I read this week studying for this sermon, I'm going to talk a little bit about it, just a little bit. Some of you have experienced these things. Abuse, neglect, abandonment, psychological just torture. And, and you're sitting here now listening to this, and I'm saying to you, you got to forgive him. I mean that. You do. And yet I don't, I don't say that in a way of like, it's easy. It isn't. And you'll probably need help from someone else or to work through this. But I want to encourage you this morning to face it. All right, so that being said, I see the fruit of the fall and fathers in two main ways in our world. One is to, to what I'm calling father irrelevant. And the second is father monster. This is not, again, to say that a father can't be, in a sinful fallen way, a good one. So the first way that the sin has affected fathers is by making them believe that they're to be irrelevant. And by this I mean the temptation for men who are supposed to be initiators, who are supposed to take responsibilities, to be wickedly passive. And here I think of a guy like Eli in the Bible. 
you're familiar with Eli, you should look him up. Eli's two sons, Eli was um, a priest. He was in charge of the worship. And Eli's two sons, who were kind of his assistants when women came to worship, they seduced them and had sex with him. Or when they brought their offerings, they took the best of them for themselves. They were thieves. And Eli passively stood by and did nothing. And he, he was utterly irrelevant to them as a father. And he, that irrelevance caused their death, ultimately. He refused to discipline them. In our day, there is a full press, all-out war on making fathers absolutely irrelevant. Right? If you're a lesbian and you want to have a child, you, you only need a donator. You don't need a father. In 1973, uh, our country said a woman can kill her child without any consent or involvement of the father at all. Fathers in our world are taught you are needed nothing at all except for the donation of sperm, and after that, just sit by you're irrelevant, right? And, and we see this burden, it's put on women. Women are taught that they are um, not worth much if they're just a stay-at-home mom, so they now need to work all day and then come home and do all the duties of mom and dad because dad sees himself as irrelevant. And that's thought as normal. A father-husband is taught to never challenge the voice of his wife And he often fears her more than God, and so he won't discipline his children. He won't teach his wife how to discipline. And mothers are almost always, in our culture, left to pick up the pieces. Women seem hardwired to fill in the gaps of our fatherly passivity, take the responsibility that God gave the man that she is not made to carry, and wonder why things are so hard here. Now, this kind of father irrelevancy has taught men, and we as men are so glad to embrace it, that our main role is to just stay out of the way, right? Just sometimes I think we as men think we're doing our job so long as we're not making a mess, right? As long as a man isn't contributing to the problem, he's doing okay. That's how men sometimes define love. So we refuse to take the responsibility God has given to us. God, as the elder Dennis said, has spoken specifically to men, putting on him the responsibility to teach our children the faith of the Lord and bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. That is, the responsibility lies with us. Scripture gives us the responsibility as men to provide for our families, to protect our families, to lead our families courageously to set the tone of our households. And today in our culture, we think a man is a good man if he's nice and passive. Most churches make nice, passive men the elders because they don't make any trouble and they won't deal with people's sin. They refuse to make men who are tough and courageous and kind elders because they actually deal with the sin in the people. We consistently evaluate men 
on feminine terms in our culture. And all of this, we as men, because of the fall, are so glad to breathe in and take on because we really enjoy being passive. We really enjoy living perpetually adolescent well into our 40s. We get all the sex, all the toys, without any of the responsibilities. And so the fall is infecting us with this lie that we are irrelevant, and so we're passive. And some of you have been raised like that. So the fall is seen in fatherhood in that it tempts fathers to be passive, to abdicate. But sometimes the fall affects the father and that he becomes a monster. And, and there's all different shades and gradations of this. There's some fathers who are good and they're active and then sometimes they're passive. And then there's fathers who are basically good and have maybe some grievous sin. But here I want to talk about fathers who are actively monstrous in the home. There's examples of this in the Bible all over the place. We cannot go very far into Genesis without seeing it. Lot. Remember Lot? Lot had two angelic visitors show up. The town of Sodom wanted to sodomize these men. And remember what Lot did? He shoved his, his plan was to take his two virgin daughters and give them the town to be gang raped. What a monster. A little later on in the story, Lot and his daughters get drunk together and he impregnates them both. We have fathers in the Bible like Manasseh who actually sacrificed their children in fire to false gods. Like sometimes, a story I read this week of a father whose Christian daughter became pregnant out of wedlock in college. She came home, and he did everything he could to make her abort that baby. He finally threatened to cut her off completely, not pay for her cause if she did, and so she finally did. This man was thought of in his church as a godly man. This is when father becomes monster. The statistics among, in our world, of fathers who abuse is incredible. And that is true uh, within the church, especially among homeschooling families. Right. So it's here. Fathers sometimes stand by. I read a story of an older brother who raped his younger adopted brother repeatedly and dad did nothing over years of this. Nothing. There are fathers who beat their wives and children. I had an uncle like that. If fathers who subject their children to all kinds of psychological, emotional abuse. If fathers who fail to protect their young daughters inviting young, horny men into their homes and letting them go off in a room to watch a movie by themselves and can't imagine their daughter would do anything. Sometimes fathers spend their families into debt from which they can't recover. You have fathers who 
are drunk and cause all kinds of financial, emotional, physical problems for their families, and on and on and on and on. Now, the temptation for you and I is to sit here and go, well, thank God that doesn't happen here. Thank God that only happens out there. Because we just want to believe that the people we know here grow up in nice families with good dads and they don't do these kind of things. We want to put the blinders on, deny the reality, think the statistics can't apply here. And so just, just, let's just forget about it and move on. Let's just sing our songs. Let's just go to our small groups. And let's not talk about this stuff. Let's not deal with these realities. Nobody wants to hear it. Nobody wants to admit it. Nobody wants to look this pain in the face. Nobody wants to discipline this kind of sin. Brothers and sisters, this kind of thing is here in our church happening to people seated right next to you or has happened to people seated right next to you. And so we cannot remain blind to these things. We do not want to keep silent about them. We need to deal with them, and we need to do it biblically. So what are we to do? What do you do if your father was very passive? Or, to some degree, very sinful in abuse, maybe even monstrously so. What do you do if this is your reality now? What does the gospel say to fallen fathers in all of its hurricane, debris, damage left in its wake? First, let me again say that the Bible does describe good fathers. Again, I don't want you to hear this sermon, especially as a father, and say, well, I'll just give up then. (laughs) Why even attempt? This is the reality, and I'm a fallen father. I'm just... I'm just done. Well, the reality is Christ has risen from the dead. He's broken the power of sin in our lives, and he has made us new. And so the point of this is to wake us up to the impact of Father's sin and call us to repentance. And this is what is needed in the church, really, isn't it? It's really just repentance. That's it. And so men, fathers, wherever you fall in this, the simple call of Christ and the gospel is come to him, confess sin, make amends, receive his forgiveness, and begin to take the small initial steps towards living faithfully as a father. The only failure, I believe, as a father is one who doesn't keep going, keep growing. There's only failing fathers here. There's only fallen fathers here. But We need to be growing failing fathers. We need to be failing in the right direction. I want to say it that way. So there's all kinds of grace. Let me uh, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. I just want to show you how utterly God is committed 
to the work of turning the hearts of the fathers of their children, the hearts of the children of their fathers. That this is, this is big on the heart of God our Father. That one of His main work in this new reality in Christ is the redemption of fathers to His family. The last word in the Old Testament is this, in Malachi 4, 6. So this is, the, this is the close of the Old Testament. This is 400 years or so prior to Christ's coming, looking towards Christ's coming and the main effect that God wants to work through the life and death and resurrection and reign of Jesus Christ. And what's the last promise of the Old Testament? And He... God the Father will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to the fathers lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. Right? So you always should pay attention to what somebody says last, right? Last words really matter. If you're by somebody's bedside as they're breathing their last, what they say last, you remember forever. He's the, the last words of the Old Testament. I am going to, through the coming of my son, turn fathers' hearts to their children. God is utterly committed to you as a father and your growth and repentance. And, right? He is very involved in this. So fathers, let's repent. Let's take responsibility. Now, uh, what about those of you who have real pain, shame, sometimes destruction because of the sin of your father? Your pain is real. The impact on your life is real. The sin of your father, big or small, is real. It's his sin. It isn't yours. You didn't deserve it not your fault. What is needed, if you haven't done so yet, is to just simply admit the reality of the sin of your father. Don't excuse it. Don't uh, make excuses for him. I have found, especially with young girls or women, that they find it so difficult to admit, admit the reality of the sin of their father. They're just wired to defend him. You see moms doing this all the time when the dad's sin is very grievous. She does everything she can do to hold it together and never let it come to light. And so again, what is needed is for you to admit the reality of the sin of your father. And then I say this again with all gentleness, all kindness. Forgive him. Your father has failed, and he maybe has failed in ways that are too horrific to even think about, much less dredge it back up and deal with it. I've been here two years. I realized what happened before I came. And, and in my two years here, we've just started, I think, to touch 
some of the pain of this father hunger, father sin. But I, I don't think we've seen all that there is here. And I just want you to know that I as pastor, we as elders are willing to get into the muck that is your life. Maybe because of the stuff from your dad, we're willing. You don't have to do this alone. We care about you. We're not going to publicly shame or embarrass anyone. We're not going to use this against you. We are not going to do maybe what your dad has done to you. We want to be a part of God's grace and bringing you to the point of being able to realize forgiveness and healing in this. And so, I urge you to get help that might lead to you actually forgiving Father. Now, a word, if I could, to those of you who have as fathers or are as fathers doing unspeakable harm to your children or your wives with all kinds of abuse. Um, and brothers and sisters, we're, we're talking about physical harm, abuse. We're talking about adultery. We're talking about molestation and rape. We're talking about spending your family into oblivion. These things happen in Scripture. Statistically, they happen very frequently in our world, and it's often no different in the church. Uh, if, if this is you, and your addictions, or your abusiveness, or your sexual sin, or whatever... If this is you or it has been you, uh, you, you need to repent. You need to bring your sin into the light. Typically, as can be seen, let's say, in some of the Catholic priest abuse scandals, our inclination as sinners is just to cover it up. Right? We're going to go to 1 Corinthians in a few weeks, and one of the things the Corinthians prided themselves on is they had a man in their church who was sleeping with his father's wife, his stepmom. And the church was so proud that they were accepting of this man. They were just covering it up. They didn't want to deal with it. We as a church want to be the kind of church that we deal with these things. We want to be the kind of church that admits to their reality and deals with them. We don't want to hide it. And I don't want to hide it because some of you are suffering incredibly under this. Some of you are suffering unbelievably under this. Our world is crazy in that it often gives more care to the abuser than to the victims. And if you're one of these abusers, we want to deal with you. We, we want this to come out, and I pray God that He would do whatever 
He needs to bring you to light so that we can deal with you lovingly but firmly. Now, if you are a wife of a man who is doing this and you've been hiding it, you need to bring it to light if he won't. Now, you might convince yourself all over the place that dishonoring your husband, that it isn't submitting to him, that's a lie. You're, in in effect, abetting him. You're not guilty of what he's doing, but you're definitely keeping it a possibility. I can't imagine something more difficult for a wife to do than this. But you are not helping you or your family or God's glory by keeping it hidden. And I can tell you this, you will have a church who will be 100% behind you and take care of you in whatever way needs to be taken care of. You will not have to do this alone. Even if you lose financial stability, we as a church will stand in there for you. So we have fatherly sin. And the only biblical solution for it is the cross of Jesus Christ, isn't it? Didn't you already see that in Genesis 3? Go back there with me if I can, if you would, to Genesis 3. There's two words of gospel in this text. God promises that there would be a seed of the woman who would, in verse 15, bruise the head of the serpent. That word bruise there means crush. And the one who would crush the head of the serpent, would he himself be wounded? Most of us think that's talking about Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And, and he's done it, hasn't he? At the end of the text then, we see that Adam and Eve have shame for their sin. They're naked and ashamed. Sin is shameful, brothers and sisters. Our fatherly sin is shameful. And Christ died to cover our nakedness just like God did for Adam and Eve, our shame. Now, the only way out of shame is to confess and repent of your sin and stop doing it. Our world loves to tell Christians that shame in of itself is a bad thing always. It isn't. Shame is a right response to ongoing sin. If you as a father are continuing on in your sin without repentance, stop, you should be ashamed. But you should realize that shame is given you as a gift of God to drive you to the cross where your shame can actually be done with. And so we want to be done with it. Don't we? Don't you want to be done with it? Don't you want growth here? And so let's leave with a word from God the Father. You heard in last week's sermon at the baptism of God's Son that God the Father was there and God the Father spoke over His Son that this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is my 
beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And that is what God the Father speaks over all of us who are in Christ, including fallen fathers. He has fatherly pleasure in his Son. Fatherly delight in his sons. And we as fathers, our main calling in our homes is to cult and cultivate an atmosphere of pleasure in our children. And that is not possible if we're being passive, and that is doubly not possible if we're being abusive. We need to be there. We need to be present. We need to dote on our children, delight in them, fawn over them, discipline them, sing over them, love them actively because that is how God the Father loves us in Christ. And so men, don't lay down. Don't stop. When you fail, repent and try again and again and again and again. Because God is our Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we find these things very difficult. We would much rather in our flesh ignore them, put the blinders on and live like these things aren't true. Uh, We as fathers do fail. And so, God, we need your grace. We need uh, your grace mainly, firstly, in believing the truth of the gospel. And not only that we are forgiven, but that we are set free from our sin. And so, God, would you convince us of this? Would you do the hard work here in our church of bringing us as fathers to repentance and growth, of stopping any horrible harm that is happening, bringing it to light, oh God, please do it. And do it for your glory. Do it for the good of your people. Do it for our testimony in this community. And so, God, to you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The charge is this. There are, as we've seen, only failing fathers. The question is whether you're going to be a failing father who believes the grace of God, continues to strive for holiness and goodness and growth as a father, or a failing father who disbelieves the grace of God and continue on in your fall. So the charge is, I urge you towards God's grace to get up and keep going in this grace, and this applies to us all. Now may our Father in heaven, from whom all fatherhood in heaven and earth gets its name, according to the riches of his glory, may he grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Amen.